0: Amen. This morning, I'm pleased to introduce to you a, a fantastic communicator of God's Word. His name is Dr. Don Cox, and he serves as a regional missionary here in the Roanoke Valley for the Southern Baptist Convention of Virginia. Uh, his role is helping local churches in a variety of ways as a consultant, a mentor, a trainer, and a partner in ministry. Currently, he lives over in Salem, Virginia. But he is a native of Alta Vista. He made his profession of faith at the age of 12 and publicly acknowledged his call to ministry during his college years. And he has served in many Southern Baptist contexts. He has served since 1988 in some form of ministry, including youth pastor, associate pastor, senior pastor, North American Mission Board missionary, and now Southern Baptist Convention. Of Virginia staff, he served as an interim or transitional pastor at four churches. He ser- served on the SBCV staff since 2004. In addition to these things, he's also served on numerous SBC boards and committees, and he has a passion for missions. Amen. Praise God for that. He's got a doctor of ministry from the greatest seminary in the Southern <laughs> Convention, <laughs> Southeastern Seminary and he had, Ethan Smith will appreciate that in the second service. <laughs> and he has degrees from James Madison University and Mid-America Seminary. He and his wife, Janine, have been married more than 25 years, and they have two sons, Tim, 23, who's at Liberty University School of Divinity, and Chris, age 20, who is a sophomore at Liberty University. Uh, Don kindly offered to uh, fill the pulpit for me sometime this summer, so that I could take a little break and Stacey uh, and the kids and I enjoyed a few days of camping with her father down at Hungry Mother State Park. I almost died uh, going up Molly's knob because I'm that out of shape. But uh, (laughs) Brother Don, I thank you for being willing to be here today and allowing me to get some precious time with family. Church, would you welcome Brother Don Cox. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate it.
1: Boy, that $5 for that introduction really paid off, didn't it? Tell you what, he was reading all that, and I was thinking, wow, I I just feel tired just hearing all that. It is great to be here today, and I'm grateful to speak on behalf of so many Southern Baptist missionaries that you support. I'm going to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 10, by the way, Luke chapter 10. And uh, I just want to thank you on behalf, for example, of more than 7,000 seminary students that you're supporting. Imagine that. Men and women who are called into ministry who are being trained and you are supporting them. Folks like Jacob and Christy who could not go. These are individual people I'm thinking of who could not get their education to fulfill their calling if not for your support. I thank you on behalf of more than 4,000 international missionaries that are serving around the world like Jim and Teresa Flora who are serving in the southern part of Africa in a nation that until they arrived, many of the people who were there in the villages of the mountains of Lesotho had never received a Bible in their own language until they came. I give you thanks on behalf of uh, more than 10,000 North American mission board chaplains and missionaries and students and church planters deployed all around North America. Those are a part of what you uh, support through your Southern Baptist mission Work. Thank you for your involvement, your participation in mission work like in Puerto Rico, in Haiti, Spain, Washington, D.C., many other places. But I'm here to, to consider a question, why? Why do we do that? Why since 2017 has North Roanoke Baptist given more than $60,000 through the SBC of Virginia to support mission work in places that you and I may never see? People that we may never meet. Why do we do that? Well, I'm I'm glad you asked. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 down to 37, I believe, give us our motivation. Because if you hear nothing else I say this morning, I want you to hear and understand this. To love God means that you love other people. Loving God means loving others. And how do I get such an idea? Jesus gave it to me right here Luke chapter 10. Notice what it says in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And so Jesus replied by telling him a story. There was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, and he saw him pass by on the other side, verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, then set him on his own uh, animal, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever you spend, whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him and to you and I, you go and do likewise. Will you pray with me? Lord, we've opened your word. Now we pray that you would open our hearts. That we might, first of all, see the truth clearly, but you would also, through your Holy Spirit, give us courage and boldness to act on that truth. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You know, this is a very familiar story. A story, because it's so familiar, you may not realize really what Jesus is trying to say. You may have heard it many times before, but never considered the point that Jesus is driving home. But there are three things that you need to understand to really understand the parable that Jesus gives and the point for you and I that we can take with us today. First of all, you notice that there was a lawyer who came to Jesus. Jesus. Now, when you hear the word lawyer, you think about somebody who has an advertisement on television, you know, some kind of catchy thing. If you get hit by a car, call me, you know. You picture someone chasing after an ambulance, handing out their card, call me, call me, you can sue and I'll win for you, you know, that kind of thing. That's not the kind of lawyer that this is right here. In fact, you'll notice that this lawyer is not a lawyer in the civic sense of representing someone in a legal proceeding He's an expert in the law of God. Why? Because the people of God were a part of a theocracy. He was an expert in God's words and that's why he asked Jesus the question about eternal life. He's not just asking personally. It's a part of his life. So this lawyer is in the religious realm. Secondly, you'll notice that this lawyer, it's important to understand that he came to Jesus with really a self-righteous question. He came with, to Jesus with his mind already made up. You'll notice in the, in the verse there, it says he stood up to put Jesus to the test. Notice verse 29. When Jesus answered him, verse 29, it says he desired to justify himself. He already had his mind made up. You know, that's a dangerous thing to come to God with your mind already made up. It's a dangerous thing to already have an idea of what you want to do and you want to ask God to bless what your plans already are. God has never promised to do such a thing, but he has promised to bless his purposes. So this lawyer, an expert in the law of God, is there to test Jesus. He wants to justify himself. The third thing I, I want you to understand, which might give us the most caution is the fact that you might be an expert in the Word of God, but it doesn't mean that you know the God of the Word. This man knows the Scripture. Do you notice what he does? He quotes from the Bible. Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 6, if I remember correctly. Yep, that's correct. He comes to Jesus with his mind already made up, and he is an expert in the law of God, and he is seeking justification. He wants to be right with God. You see, there are lots of people who know what the Bible says, but it doesn't mean that they know the author. That's really the important thing, is to know the author. That makes all the difference in the world. Because people who are experts in God's Word, but yet do not know the God of the Word, they can become self-righteous. They can be the kind of, become the kind of people who become prideful and prejudiced toward others. They're the kind of people that say, oh God, please bless me and help me not be like my neighbor that I just drove by on the way to church today. You have to be very careful about that. In fact, in this story, it's very interesting that Jesus chooses religious people to address this problem. First of all, He tells a story about the priest that comes by. The priest is an an expert in the rituals of God, but yet evidently his heart was far from God because in his busyness, whatever was going on, he didn't have time to express love for the very God that he was expressing those rituals to in the first place. And then secondly, Jesus tells a story about a Levite who comes by, who is an expert in the very words of God, but yet... Did not apply those very words to this situation. And Jesus makes a hated Samaritan the hero of the story. It's, imagine that. It's like if we were to tell a story today in church and I were to, to make a, a Russian or some type of other nationality the hero of the story. You, you'd certainly either take offense or take note. Jesus does this very importantly you see, you have to understand these things to understand what Jesus is driving home here. This story has some very important words for us. And the, the main theme that he's saying here is that loving God means loving others. First of all, we notice in this story that we need to open our eyes to those who are hurting around us. Verse 30, Jesus says, There was a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed and they left him for dead. You see, this story would be very familiar to someone who lived in that area. This road from uh, Jerusalem, which was high on Mount Zion, leading down to this uh, area near Jericho. You see, Jericho was situated near the Dead Sea. It was a, The Dead Sea is the lowest spot on earth. J- Jerusalem sits 2,700 feet above sea level. Jericho sits... 800 feet below sea level in this town right near Jericho meant that this road was a vertical drop of more than 3,500 feet. The, The road was very dangerous. It was called the Way of Blood because there are many stories of robbery and frequent ambush. Some people called this road the Bloody Pass because of its twist and winding turns. There were limestone caves and large boulders, places where those who had evil intentions could hide, lying in wait for someone, thieves, muggers, and robbers. It was a dangerous journey on this route. And this man was on a journey from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He falls among thieves. They beat him, they stone him, they kick him, they strip him of his clothes, took all his possessions, left him in a pool of crimson blood, dying. Jesus tells us that that's exactly what happens to people even in our day. You see, who's the author of all misery? Satan is, that's right. Satan is the author of all kinds of misery and hurt and pain. This story is a vivid depiction of that, but all around us are people that Satan has harmed. Satan, the scripture says, comes to rob kill and destroy. Satan is the great accuser. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And in our world today, even in our neighborhoods, maybe even next door to you in your neighborhood, there are people whose hearts have been crushed and wounded. People who have been damaged by Satan in so many different ways. You see, Satan wounds people emotionally through fear and anxiety. He harms them physically through disease. He harms them mentally with addictions. He harms them, their relationships with broken families and broken marriages. He harms them spiritually while people are caught up in cults and perverse teachings and false religions. And we cannot turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to it. Jesus' point here is we need to notice those around us who may indeed be hurting. Reminds me of the Story, Brother Daniel, about a a new missionary who arrived in Calcutta, India, a place of great poverty and suffering where people, because of their great poverty, many times they will drink the water passing through the streets, even though that very same water is used for laundry as well as for the sewer. This new missionary had arrived in town. An older veteran missionary met him at the airport, drove him down... The street headed toward the mission center, and the, the new missionary began to cry. Tears began to stream down his cheeks. The older veteran missionary said, Well, you know, after you've been here a while, you, it doesn't affect you as much. You, you stop crying. And the younger missionary said, That's exactly what I'm afraid of. That's why I'm crying. You see, for many of us, we see people around us, and we hardly even notice we hardly even take note. We drive right by but we walk right by him. We don't even notice. We have to be very careful about that. You know, every year I go for a, an exam of my eyes. As, I've, as I'm now north of 50, my uh, eye doctor is very encouraging. He says things like, well, you know, it's not going to get any better, <laughs> which is always encouraging. He always says that before I pay the bill. I don't, I don't understand that. I have this condition called nearsightedness, which means I can take off my glasses and I can read my large print Bible and my notes that are here, but you're just a blob of light. But I put my glasses on, I can see. I have nearsightedness. Some people are the opposite. They're farsighted. They can see at a distance but need help up close. It reminds me of the fact that sometimes that's the way people treat missions and evangelism. Many times they see those in their family and in their neighborhood and their co-workers and they, they think, you know, I love them, I care for them. It is they to whom I need to take the good news of the gospel. That's where missions takes place. Missions is best when it starts at home. That's what they say. But yet some people have missions and so They think missions is not for my neighborhood. It's for somewhere way over there in some distant land. But we need to be very careful that we not be spiritually nearsighted nor farsighted. We need to have the eyes of Jesus. And he reminds us right here. That we need to have eyes to see those who are hurting around us. We must observe. The second thing we notice in this story that we have to, secondly, we have to be on guard against casual indifference. We have to be on guard. We have to guard our hearts against casual indifference. That's what happens in verse 31 and 32. Notice that Jesus tells about folks who came by that could have helped. Verse 31 says, Now by chance a, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place, and he saw him, he passed by on the other side. A priest wrapped in his self-righteous robes, an expert in religious ritual, an expert in carrying out the rituals that should point people to God, was very indifferent to the hurting man that was sitting by the side of the road. Perhaps Perhaps he was busy. Perhaps he was in a hurry. We don't know why, but we do know this. He didn't care because he didn't stop. I wonder how many times we've done that. Then the story goes on to tell about the Levite. The Levite was an expert in the Old Testament law. Was one that helped people interpret it. And even to add guardrails, guidance for how they were to follow the Old Testament. The Levite, what does the Levite do? Levite does the same thing passes by on the other side, I can almost imagine that he put up his hand to shield his eyes or where he wouldn't have to look. You see, priests and Levites shared a high status in the community of God's people. And we don't know why they didn't stop. We just know they didn't stop. Today there are many people who might be experts in the ritual of trying to follow God, but yet... Do you not express the love of God towards those hurting around them? They become casually indifferent. They don't even notice. There are others who are expert, experts in the words that God has given to us. Are these words from him? Absolutely. But those words tell us of his love that we are to express to others. You see, ritual is not the answer. Rules are not the answer. Jesus and his love is the answer. You see, rituals and rules can make us cruel. They can make us judgmental. They can make us self-righteous. But yet, we indeed need to express the love of Jesus to others. You know, Paul was an expert in these rules and rituals. In fact, so much so that he had to remind us that expertise really added up to nothing. Because in Philippians chapter 3, here's what he says. Paul talks about his own resume and he says, Though I myself could have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anything else has reason for this confidence, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I suffer loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not from the rules, not from the rituals, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That's what makes the difference. See, Jesus' point here is we have to be very careful not to become casually indifferent. We need to not turn a blind eye to those who are hurting around us. I I began this time by asking the question, why do we get involved? Because we need to have the eyes of Jesus upon those that are hurting around us. Why do we, are we careful to notice that are those that are hurting around us? Because we don't want to become casually indifferent like the judgment that Jesus places upon these two in this story. Because it reminds us, thirdly, that we need to practice compassionate involvement. Notice what it says in verse 33. But a Samaritan. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And, on, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. We are to practice compassionate involvement in people's lives. The good Samaritan who ministered to this man, he bound up this broken man, bound up his broken spirit as well. He soothed him with oil and cleansed him with wine. This good Samaritan put this man on his own beast, brought him to the inn. You see, he had to to take him there because the man couldn't make his way there on his own. He put him on his own mode of Transportation, why? Because this man could not make his way on his own. He had medicine to bind the wounds of this man. He had an anesthetic that would allow this man to not feel as much pain. It reminds me of the fact that Jesus, one day, many years ago, came to me and healed my broken spirit and my broken life. And Jesus came to me, and in such a way, He gave me a a way to heaven, a mode of transportation that I could not have made my way on my own. He came to my wounds, and He healed them by His Spirit. It was Jesus who ministered to me in such a way. Oh, this man in the story, this Samaritan, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a friend like him, right? Right? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have a friend like Jesus? Wouldn't it be wonderful to be a friend like Jesus talks about in this story? The problem with so many of us is we don't even see. We're too busy to even pay attention. Around us are people who are hurting and we don't even notice. That's why we pray for missions. That's why we give to missions. That's why we participate in missions. Because we need to have eyes like Jesus... Had Matthew nine says that when he saw the crowds, he did what? He had compassion for them. This story talks about this Samaritan man. He looks upon this man who is hurting, and he does what? He has compassion for him. That's the kind of relationship we need to have with others. That's the kind of relationship we need to have with our neighbors. Several months ago, we launched a resource at SBCV called Bless Every Home, and that resource allows people to pray for. And share the gospel and care for their neighbors. But I have to tell you, being the test case, being on staff, I was part of the test case of the early release of this. And you know what it did for me? It convicted me because many of my neighbors, I didn't even know their names. How could I care for them if I didn't even know their names? How could I pray for them if I didn't know anything about them? How could I have any compassionate involvement in their lives if I didn't even know who they were. And so this resource has allowed me to change that and to make a difference in my neighborhood. And I pray maybe that you would do the same. Several years ago, there was a fellow on public television. He was, uh, His name was Mr. Rogers. You ever heard of Mr. Rogers? Mr. Rogers used to say, won't you be my neighbor? I think that's kind of what Jesus is saying here, won't you be a neighbor to those around you won't you be the kind of friend like the Samaritan who cared for those who were hurting who had eyes to see them who got compassionately involved in their lives It reminds me of a story of a, a man in Melbourne Australia he was an elderly man he was parked uh, in his car on the street and Downtown Melbourne, Australia, He had a friend who had an appointment and had gone in and the friend had finished his appointment and moved on and so he sat in his car, but while he sat there, to everyone's surprise, including himself, he had a heart attack. And he died, sitting in his car. Parked on a downtown street in busy Melbourne, Australia. The interesting thing about the story is, He sat there for three days and no one noticed, so much so that he got three parking tickets. True story. Of course, when it was discovered that he was deceased, everyone was sad, of course, especially his family, of course. And in the the city, it was very embarrassing to have such a callous approach towards someone who had passed away sitting in their car, their parked car, in a busy downtown city, one of the largest cities in the world. The mayor had a press conference, and at the press conference, he stood at a podium like this, and he said, and I want to quote, It must be so sad for the family, and we extend our sincere sympathies to them. It's simply a case of the police officers not noticing. True story. Happened in 2005. But I wonder, that story reminds me, I wonder how many times that we're the same way. We hear that story and we shake our head and we think, how, how callous that police officers and others would come by and nobody would even notice. But I wonder if we don't do the same, time, same thing sometimes in our lives, we don't even notice. Jesus tells us to be very careful To be careful about becoming indifferent. Be careful about turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to those who are hurting around us. He tells us that he wants to be compassionately involved in the lives of others. How can you do that? You can be involved in people's lives by sharing your faith with them. By coming to church and bringing them with you or invite them to church with you. You can have a home Bible study where you can invite your neighbors over because many are uncomfortable coming to a church until they get to know people, and maybe a home Bible study would be the way to do it. Christians ought to be involved because we care and we love Jesus, because loving God means loving others. We ought to be involved on the forefront in foster parenting and adoption. We ought to be involved in our local schools. We ought to Take our faith wherever it is, whether it be your office in which you work, your neighborhood that you live, or maybe if your kids are involved, like my kids when they were younger, they were involved in all kinds of different sports. Don't leave your faith at home when that takes place. Now, let me hasten to say that the gospel is about the fact that Jesus is our substitute. The gospel message is this. You and I are sinners in need of a Savior, we cannot save ourselves. And Jesus is our substitute. He dies in the place of His children such that when we place our faith and trust in Him, it changes everything. That is the gospel message. But let me hasten to say that Jesus is not just our substitute. He is our example. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, But in humility, count others more more significant than ourselves. You see, Jesus is not just our substitute. He's our example. He came and he compassionately involved himself in our lives. This lawyer comes to Jesus and he thinks to himself, Love God with everything? I can do that. Love my neighbor as myself? I can do that. But I wonder who I get to leave out. That's kind of the question that he asks. He's kind of looking for an out. He's kind of looking for people that he can leave off the list. Now, if I were to ask you who is is your neighbor, maybe you'd be thinking about some folks that you'd like to leave off of that list. (laughs) Jesus says we don't get to leave anyone off the list. Even those neighbors that we haven't met yet. Even those neighbors that live far from us, in some sense, they are our neighbors. In fact, if we love only those that love us, Jesus says, what benefit is that? Luke chapter 6, same book of the Bible. Chapter 6, here's what Jesus says. And you wish that others would do to you, do also to them the golden rule. Then he goes on to say, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners, even people who do not claim the name of Jesus, do the same. You see, you can't love God and not love others. You see, loving God means loving others. That's the point of Jesus' story here driving it home even more deeply. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, here's what it says. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, from Jesus, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's what Jesus is asking of us. He's asking of us that we will love others because we love Him. A leads to B. Loving God. You say that you love God. That's why you're here this morning. That's why we sang the songs that we did. That's why we've prayed the prayers that we have. That's why we've opened God's holy word. Because we've expressed our love for God now, Jesus says to love God means that we also love others. May that be true of me. May that be true of everyone within the sound of my voice. May that be true of every Christian that our love for God leads to loving others. Will you pray with me? God, we're mindful that even now, missionaries that we support somewhere around the world are sharing the gospel with others. We pray, first of all, that you give them safety, if it be your will, and give them a willing witness, and give those that hear the gospel witness ears to hear, we pray. But we're reminded, Lord, that Not only are there needy people around the world, there are needy people in our neighborhood, in our community, in our sphere of influence. Lord, may we be reminded that loving you means that we love them, that we express that love in a multitude of different ways. Lord, give us, Lord, not just the motivation, but the courage to act, to express our love for you by loving them. And give us wisdom how to do that. Lord, we're reminded that your gospel message is the fact that Jesus died as our substitute. And maybe there's someone in this room this morning who needs to express faith and trust in you in such a way that they're saved. I pray that that would happen today. Help them to understand that Jesus loves them so much so that he died on a cross for their sins that they might be saved and to change their life eternally. Lord, give them courage to act on that faith. Give them faith and courage to act on it, we pray. And give us all courage and boldness to express our love for you by loving others. We thank you for this time and for your word that guides us into all truth. What a perfect treasure it is. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.